Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. And we are obsessed with flipping puberty positive. Puberty is a stage of life best described as a roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts. It happens to literally every human being on earth. And it shouldn't be cringy. It should feel, you know, pretty comfortable. Which is why we started this podcast and a newsletter and why we film slightly ridiculous but informative social media videos. It's why we have a brand that makes clothes that literally feel so comfortable and why we write books too. Our latest is This Is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained. We have built a universe of puberty positivity and it all started with this podcast. We are so happy that you're here. Cara, this is a really exciting day for us because we have a guest on who is the most frequent guest of the Puberty Podcast. She is officially... Yes. You know how SNL has the five timers club and you get a blazer? So excited. the third timer? Third Third timer. Third timer. What do you want, Aliza? (sighs) Can I... A Stanley Cup? Oh, nice. Not the Stanley Cup sports thing, the water thing. That is we'll make so a mental random. note of that. <laughs> it's, it's the most popular thing for teenagers. What are you talking about? I think that's what my niece wanted for Hanukkah. So and, sure. and this is why we have Dr. Elisa Pressman <laughs> on the Puberty Podcast, because she doesn't just help us raise good humans. She also offers up a gift guide for teenagers. <laughs> So if we don't do this now, we'll forget to record an intro. So we're going to say this really, really quickly. Elisa, you can relate to that, right? So many of you have listened to our previous episodes of Dr. Lisa Pressman, a developmental psychologist, an assistant clinical professor in the Division of Behavioral Health of Department of Pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital, where she's co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. She is the host of our oft-quoted Raising Good Humans podcast. She's the mother of two teenagers. She is kind, wonderful, and hilarious. And she is the author of the new book, The Five Principles of Parenting. And we are so excited, Aliza, to have you here and to help you launch your baby into the world. Welcome. Thank you. That's a real mouthful, that resume that you were sent out of the bio. She read it. She read it on 2X speed. Did you notice that? (laughs) It's the only thing I do on 2X is read your title. So we're going to get really specific with some questions about the book related to puberty, tweens, and teens. But Cara, can you just give your beautiful overview of the book that we talked about before Aliza got on? Yes. 
And, you know, I just want to start with a comment that Vanessa made in that intro, which is, you are not just oft quoted. When we traveled around the country, we spoke in so many schools and in 100% of those schools, we quoted you. And we quoted not just you and all the advice you give, but one very specific piece of advice that comes out loudly and clearly in this book, which is all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. It is one of the most important mantras of, I don't even want to say parenting, being an adult in the world. Personing, personing. It's amazing. And so what I said to Vanessa is, I wanted to say three things at the outset. The first is how important that piece of advice is and how thrilled we were to see it woven through this beautiful book that we're going to talk about today. Number two is to just talk about your metaphor of a tree that launches this book. The book is opened with a very, very beautiful image of sort of the importance of this personing again, right? The adults in the equation, recognizing the importance, not just of the sort of stability of their trunks and that the need for kids to have sort of a stable pillar in their life, but also the breadth of the canopy of the love that they give and the ideas that they give, and then the depth of the roots that they plant for themselves and for their children. And it was such a beautiful way into such important information, parenting information that can feel overwhelming, but that that is number two that I wanted to hold on to. And then number three that I wanted to say is that you are so well regarded as an advisor to parents of all children, but I think your brand is very well known among parents of younger children. And what is so clear in this text is every parent or adult of a tween and a teen should read this book because your advice extends way beyond the young years when the, you know, our tree trunks are big and have lots of rings and our branches are wide and our kids are bigger. Okay. That was a lot, but that's why I'm going to launch. <laughs> that was so nice. Thank you. We loved your book. Thank you. I mean, which we I love- just want to say is called, I'm holding it up, The Five Principles of Parenting by Dr. Aliza Pressman. Okay. In case you forgot your name, Aliza. Okay. So I want to start with, I think, one of your most important messages. And I've heard you speak about this. And I, when I read it here, it was like, everybody needs to remember this, which is this. You only need to be a good enough caregiver over 50% of the time, right? I think when when we spoke at Hackley last year, you said 52%. <laughs> just, um, just, just like, more, just more over. Yeah. And that in and of itself protects our kids by just doing good enough over half the time. Can you talk about, can you ground us in the science that tells us why that is the case, how that is the case, so that everyone listening can just take a massive deep breath about all the ways the 40, you know, 9% of the time they're not doing so hot. I mean... Most of the time, we're not at a 52%. We're probably getting a a C, not a, you know, just over. Speak for yourself, Lisa. (laughs) But 
Well, because I just didn't want people who were like, I have a, I have higher standards than this, so I'm not interested. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just to say that the science tells us that it's the consistency more often than not, the majority of the time you are able to provide the consistency of care and the stability and all the principles that I go into relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. But the repair is there very much to get us back when we have all of the moments that we are in the 49%. And it is so powerful that it doesn't undermine, as long as we're doing it, it's the cycle. It actually builds and strengthens and cultivates the idea that this relationship is sturdy enough that that trunk and those roots are really planted in there. So those missteps are just not going to break anything. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to get it right. I would say in the reverse that it's like, we want to get it right almost all of the time instead of more often than not. And that difference not only is totally unattainable, but it's actually counterintuitively more likely to be harmful. And I don't love using the word harmful because I think like we have enough on our plates. So I don't want people to be like, I'm too good of a parent. What? But (laughs) But so say that all the time. (laughs) So what I'm hearing, so what I'm hearing and what I read was being good or right is good, but being wrong is good too. Yeah. Because we need all of that and we don't need to burden our kids with the even remote hope that they go out into the world as adults, that they leave the nest and are meant to be right all of the time or good all of the time. Let's talk about that because basically our entire work is founded on the importance of do-overs, right? Everything Cara and I talk about, think about, guide people through is rooted in your guidance and a bunch of other amazing psychologists who we love talking about the importance of repair. I don't think people understand the science behind repair. I think, you know, when we say to an audience of people, hey, by the way, when you take a do-over, when you apologize, when you own your mistake, I know you think it lowers your esteem in your kids' eyes. I know you think it's going to lose respect and sever connection, but in fact, it's the very opposite. So Aliza, talk us through like what happens through repair that actually strengthens connection and relationships rather than severs it. The original research on rupture and repair was Ed Tronic decades ago. And he was looking at infant caregiver relationships. And they were calculating how often there was in the lab, you know, between and lab studies are obviously, we're not talking about that today, but it's not necessarily generalizable. But over time, when you see things replicated enough in enough environments, it's pretty hard to deny. But in the early studying of repair, it may sound lightly unethical right now, but they would sort of have babies and moms have a moment where the baby was making a bid for attention and the mother kind of did what was called a still face. And it sounds quite cold, even as I'm describing it, because the experimenters would watch as the babies would just keep bidding for attention and get really upset and finally 
potentially give up. But what was so incredible about it and the reason why it was important for research, though, again, <laughs> lightly disturbing, was that the mothers, typically it was the primary caregiver, would then reconnect and just through smiling or having a moment, this is too little to apologize or have, you know, some kind of like deep conversation, just reconnecting physically or with eyes and lighting up your face and smiling and mirroring, those babies were back. And over time, the measurements of how healthy a relationship was, were not about how much that connection happened because that was like 33% of the time. And then the research extended to all the ages, including couples and repair is like all over the planet now as a big part of relationships. But the science behind it is really at its core about just understanding that love has a permanence that isn't going anywhere just because something was uncomfortable or messy or seemed disconnected. And to keep getting a repeated exposure to that information, you're wiring in a system so much strength and so much confidence that that person that you count on is reliable enough not to be going anywhere just because something wasn't feeling really good. And if you really think about it, when you go into your life and you meet adults and you have interactions that have ruptures, especially in romantic relationships, we can recognize what happens to us depending on what our early experiences were. And we can remember if we had a, I mean, I'm sorry to do this to the primary caregivers, but it's typically with primary caregivers, but could be someone else in our early lives that didn't make repairs, that didn't come back if there was a rupture. And so over time you learn like, I better not have a rupture or this relationship isn't safe. So you can see how that would not be as positive as these moments of disrepair and repair. But on the other side of it, just thinking about never experiencing it. It wasn't bad. It just was always good, like always smooth sailing. That also could get you to a place where you don't feel equipped like you don't have the muscle memory of having disrepair and repair and the discord going back together and coming into a place of feeling like you're still connected. If you don't practice that, you don't even know that that muscle exists. So the tween and teen years offer Great up, opportunity. Offer up <laughs> lots of opportunities, right? Can we dive a little bit into that? And let's think about when we're challenged by the adolescents in our lives and they're hot, their moods, they're at an 11. And, you know, our response is sort of a fight or flight kind of, it's sometimes we're great and we do the thing and we co-regulate them and we take the breath and we're right. And all, all the things that you preach and Vanessa is particularly good at in front of live audiences at getting the whole audience to co-regulate. And that's an incredible thing. When we don't and we respond to fire with fire, there's lots of opportunity for repair. So can we walk through a little bit some of the strategies to begin the repair? Like how do you get from the conflict to the repair? What does that jump 
look like and what are some ways in for the adult caregivers? So I think the first way in for the adult caregivers is to make repair within yourself and forgive yourself for probably saying something you did not mean to say (laughs) or using a tone that you wish you hadn't. And so we have to make repairs with ourselves, which we'll have time for because maybe that teenager stormed into their room and isn't speaking to us for right now. Yes, they're giving us that opportunity. Yes. So we can make repairs with ourselves, and, you know, really simple hacks that everyone knows about, hand on heart, hand on stomach, taking a deep breath and saying to yourself, like, I don't like what I did just then. I'm going to take a deep breath and remind myself, like more often than not, I'm not in that state. This was a moment and I'm going to get back with my kid and just get yourself, I forgive you. We're all good and delish. And then you're not saying to yourself, like, I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. I'm such a shit, excuse my language. And I'm losing this kid. Like this relationship is getting corroded and I suck. It's just not helping anyone. Plus, when you are making repairs with yourself, rest assured that part of co-regulation is the sense that is not spoken that your children will have of the way you speak to yourself. Mm. So I, I really encourage repair within oneself, both for your own sanity and also because that's the kind of thing that you're hoping that the voice that your child will use for themselves. And then when they come out of their room sheepishly because they too are feeling probably an urge for repair rather than getting right back into it. Even just a look that's like, and we all know that look of like, (laughs) I love you. Like, I think we know that this is, this didn't need to be like that. It doesn't need to be like a sit down. Here's what I wish I had done. Here's what I should have done. That's fine sometimes, but it can also just be that look that's like, (laughs) So that's not, I mean, I just want to drill down because that's not conflict avoidant, right? I mean, I want to be super clear on the advice. You're still, as the adult in the room, you're still standing up for what you feel or believe or being clear about the limits that you are setting, um, right? And you you distinguish between limits and boundaries in the book, which I think is actually a very Mm -hmm. important distinction. And maybe you can get into that for a second, but it's not conflict avoidant. It's shifting the tone of the conflict in order to get through it. And through it, exactly. Yes. Okay. And well, Aliza, what if, so like, that's the ideal scenario, right? You both emerge from your corners and, and you, you give each other a look and you're like, right. and you know, I've had situations where like 30 seconds later, I'll look at my kid and be like, oh my God. Yeah. And they know. And and they're like, oh, mom, that was such a fast do over. And I'm like, thank you very much. But there are times when one of us doesn't have that grace, right? Or the storm is still raging through the house. Or, you know, your kid says things like, you always say that to me, or like, you never listen, or, you know, they're still very much in it. And this is the question we get over and over. And maybe they say some really crappy stuff to us that's like incredibly hurtful and painful. And then we, instead of, you know, having had that sort of easy come down moment, now we're like back in it in our effort to repair. What's your guidance in that situation? You're not ready for repair in that situation because they're still coming at you. So the first thing is just like, it's not your time. 
you can do what you can. Certainly, if you can handle the, you know, getting tomatoes thrown at you and staying calm and not taking it personally, Godspeed. You can also say like, these tomatoes are hurting me and I would like to not have a bruise. So I'm going to just excuse myself. I love you and I'll see you in a little bit. Who needs to, you know, receive that? You don't need to say like, it looks like you're having the kind of day where you just need to batter someone. I'm here for you. It's okay to just be like, I don't want this right now. Thank you so much. So I think the words that are used in the heat of the moment are not super meaningful. And it's not to dismiss them because later you can say, I just want to check in because you said I always lie to you. And I want to check in about it. Is that something you were feeling in the heat of the moment because you were just trying to you know, pull out a thread for me? Or do you feel that way? Because then let's talk about it. But now is not the time. So I don't think that this is the audience for this movie, but Ant-Man <laughs> did the quantum something or other, quantum media. And in this movie, the other dimension has like characters that are speaking in a completely incoherent language, but they understand each other at a bar. It's like aliens. And the... Ant-Man and characters walk in and in order to understand, they just have to order a drink that is served as gunky drink. And then all of a sudden, everybody is speaking in a language they understand. So I have no idea why I saw that movie, but I saw that play, <laughs> but I saw that movie and I was like, that's kind of brilliant. Like we just need to remember that the, what they're trying to say to us, like, as far as I'm concerned in those moments, they are speaking that language and quantum mania. But when we have our, you know, glass of water, we can hear, I'm just saying like, I cannot regulate right now. I am miserable right now. I don't know what to do with my body right now or my words. And so when you hear that, you can have a more compassionate response because you're like, oh, you're a hot mess. This, these words are not what I think they are. Can we then go by extension to the frustrating feeling of being underappreciated? When the storm has blown over a little and you're beginning the repair, sometimes the repair sounds like me, 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 me from the kid. And, you know, we're human too. And we feel, I don't want to say we, I feel... <laughs> I often feel underappreciated. Yeah. And can we go there a little bit about where there's room for us to share that and where it's just a normal developmental piece of this and you got to let that one go? Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes it's not a repair moment and it feels like it's supposed to be. Sometimes it's just an extension of the argument hmm. where you're, you're trying to use like mm. the language of repair and apologizing and mm. that feels like repair, but repair is about connection and growth. So it may not be the apology. You might be apologizing, which is something else and very important, but it's not actually about reconnecting and growing. That might happen way later because you might not be ready for it because you might be like, you little ingrate. <laughs> and so you're not ready for repair. You'll do it later. Repair really is like, we are back. We are back to connection. And you don't have to be ready right away. You're also entitled to say, that really hurt. I'm not there yet. I'm going to get there. I always love you. But right now I'm like bruised. So I'm taking my time and I will come back to what I always do. After we've been Zooming all day, we both hit the same wall. We forgot about dealing with dinner. 
But given what we do for a living, we know the importance of feeding ourselves and our families well. And we want it to be yummy. So we're psyched to have found Factor. Factor's chef-created, ready-to-eat meals show up at our front doors. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, Cara goes vegan and veggie while I opt for a whole variety since I have so many kids. Two-minute prep gets us restaurant-quality full meals, snacks, and smoothies. And Factor is less expensive than takeout. And because flexibility is key, you can choose anywhere from six to 18 meals per week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor meals require no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Our kids are thrilled by the lack of dishes. So get started today and have a week of meals ready to go, taking the dinner prep pressure off. Head to factormeals.com puberty50. Use the code puberty50 to get 50% off. That's code puberty50 at factormeals.com puberty50. We know it's really tough when a kid's skin is breaking out for the first time or the hundredth time. But now there's an effective product that can help. It's called Phyla, and it's clinically proven to fix acne by targeting the bad bacteria on the skin without eliminating all the good bacteria. This rebalances the skin's microbiome, treating existing breakouts and preventing new ones. Phyla's active ingredient is a probiotic isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. This means Phyla can stop acne before it starts by eliminating bacteria in the pores without irritating or drying skin. And Phyla is safe for kids of all ages. Dermatologists recommend this easy three-step system. Just cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. My own kids actually use this product. They love it because it works so well. Get 25% off your first order of Phyla with the code PUBERTY. Go to phylabiotics.com and type in the code PUBERTY at checkout. Link is in the show notes to get started. But let's go to gratitude and appreciation and its wonderful adolescent corollary self-absorption. Um <laughs> I mean, I would actually be super curious if like there's a sort of temporary psychological condition of like adolescent narcissism, like if it's like a fleeting diagnosis. Temporary for 10 years. Yeah, between the ages of like 13 (laughs) and 23. And zero to 13. (laughs) I don't know, somehow their self-absorption feels like worse. Yeah, it's like, it's like somehow cuter and more charming and less hurtful, right? I guess because they're cuter and less smelly. It has to do with where the myelin is in the brain, Vanessa. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, there's no myelin. So you're like, oh, (laughs) you have no myelin. Um, But Elisa, talk us through, because one of the things that we think a lot about is, as Cara said, feeling appreciated or more often than not feeling underappreciated and the development of gratitude in kids, particularly tweens and teens. And you walk through a few steps of like where their developmental ability is for gratitude and what those steps look like. And I'm thinking about, I mean, the things we say to our kids, like I ran around all day today and I took you to a soccer tournament and then I picked up your suit at the dry cleaning and then I cooked you to like, and we're like going on and on about all the things we did for our kids. And they're sort of looking at us like, 
blank faced and also kind of like, oh, okay, thanks. And you're like, no, but that's not what I wanted from you. I wanted, you know, X, Y, or Z. So talk us through like what we can actually expect from kids and how it evolves. Because the evolution of it, I found into ultimately reciprocity, I found that to be like a really fascinating and helpful concept. Much of developmental psychology is managing expectations through understanding how we develop. And so I think it's easier when you have an understanding to sit there and not tell yourself a story of your really ungrateful, entitled, crappy kid. So instead, recognizing like you're definitely not getting appreciated in the short term. Of course, you're getting hugs and kisses and thanks for the stuff that really is landing well with them and serves them. But the things that serve them are the extras. The things that you're doing no matter what, that's just like, because they're so safe and they have such an expectation that you're there for them that they don't recognize yet. It's not developmentally appropriate. Kind of thank goodness. Like if you really think about it, how lucky that they don't have the need yet, the life experience yet to say, I'm so grateful for the roof over my head and the fact that you drove me and the, all these things because they just are. Now, you could look at that and say, I'm raising entitled kids and I need them to do more volunteer work. And by the way, go do volunteer work. That's incredibly helpful for building gratitude muscles. But also only because you can also feel appreciated when you do nice things for people. And it like it's a beautiful cycle where you're like, I like how that feels. And now I also recognize how it might feel for someone to feel as appreciated. You know, it, it grows a muscle, but how lucky that they won't until they're really an adult doing the same thing. They don't see you as, you know, unless they're worried about you, unless they're like, we got to take care of these people, these parents of ours. Like during COVID, I think kids were like, oh man, there's a lot to do. We have to help out. Like mm. this is not happening unless we help out. But even then, I don't know that it grew gratitude. Gratitude is like really slow and it's hunting for good stuff in small ways. But that stuff is serving them. That is not the stuff that adults feel grateful for. It's mm. just too abstract. I'm going to share a parenting fail that required repair yesterday because it's very relevant to this, which is that Vanessa and I traveled together for the majority of eight weeks through the fall. And whenever we were not based at Vanessa's house, so we spent two weeks kind of based out of New York and then the rest of it was not, I would watch Vanessa's kids text her and check in, how was the talk? Did you feel good about it? I hope it went well. Now she has a lot of kids. And so maybe only one of them was texting her, but it felt like a lot. She was getting a lot. And I'm like looking at my phone. It's, you know, hey, hey, mom, do you know where the whatever is? You know, and there's none of that. And I finally, last weekend, I said to my kids, very passive aggressively without any conflict, by the way, I was like, and I just want you to know that Vanessa's kids... <laughs> And they were curious and they want, and you know, the faces sort of fell. 
and it was aggressive of me. And then I did, I did repair immediately. I was like, so sorry, so sorry. I didn't really mean that, you know, and I sort of went into what was going on for me. And last night, I kind of meant it, right? And last night, this was a few days ago. And last night we were all driving in the car. Perfect place to have a conversation like this. And from the backseat, my son says, I just want you to know that you said this thing about Vanessa's kids and it really made me feel bad. And then he said, because he's 18 and manipulative in all the right ways, but he's 18, said, I didn't text you because I assumed everything went well because I think you're a really good speaker, mom. And so just know that's why I didn't reach out. And I said, I'm going to call BS. And he said, okay, that's fair. And then I felt like we repaired, but it was an interesting two-step process where Mm -hmm. there was no conflict. It was me feeling like- Feeling shitty. And I was feeling like you're too old to be a narcissist and how could you not check in and make sure that things were going well for me? Like if I haven't taught you that, how am I going to launch you? And so I created conflict around it, which I found kind of fascinating. And you know what, frankly- my kids, they picked up the ball when I thought it was done because they weren't done. And I think it's a long way of saying as they get older, they are very aware of when we're entering in this dynamic and what their role is. And they want repair too. They want to, and it takes a little bit of time for them, right? They absolutely want repair. We don't get to choose the timeline for repair. Mm -hmm. What I thought was cool, because I think this gets confused a lot, I mean, is that the way to really reach out to your kids? Of course, in an ideal world, you would have said, okay, what do I really want? And then said to them, hey, I'd really like for you guys to check in with me when I'm on the road. That's That's all. But the fact that your son said he felt bad, I can see a world, especially in today's parenting, stressful culture, where we're like, oh my God, I have shamed him. Mm. So I just want to acknowledge, I don't think feeling guilty is the same thing as shame. And a little guilt is important for our moral rudder. So like, that's good. I think in a way, I don't know that the way he got there is like our dream scenario, but your relationship is strong enough that the way he got there was the way he got there. And frankly, he was like, I do kind of feel bad. And I didn't feel shame. I felt, I got bad. I felt that I, I felt exactly I felt discomfort. I felt like I wish I could do it over again. And and I think that's a really important distinction that you make. I think, you know, you make so many important distinctions that are subtle. And that's one of them. It's really one. And and they're all around communication. Can we get at another important distinction that I really appreciate? And Cara mentioned it earlier, which is the distinction between rules and limits and boundaries. Because we talk to parents all the time. They're like, well, if you have so much empathy for your kids, physical development or mood swings or stage of brain development, like, doesn't that mean you're just giving them a free for all? And aren't you just creating a scenario where like anything goes? And so we often talk about how no, like a kids like having rules and limits and b they need it. But as people throw jargon around all the time, can you make some distinctions for our listeners amongst those things and then talk about why rules and limits are so important for kids to feel safe? So 
rules, which I definitely think is like of the five principles, the one that makes people feel like, is that school? Like, I don't do that anymore. (laughs) I feel like rules is an umbrella term that actually just was an R word. So that's why I chose it. But um, (laughs) it's not deeper than that. Repair, you kind of have to keep what it is um, and reflection and regulation. Actually, you know what? You could do whatever you want. There are so many different ways of saying any of these things. But I said rules and that it's an umbrella term for the rules we have within ourselves and between ourselves and other, which is relational. Those are boundaries. And they are really important for everyone to feel safe. So rules are critical for safety. And our job is to keep our kids safe. And limits is our expectation of our children's and other people in our lives for whom we have this power at all. (laughs) They are the expectations of behavior that are part of being a member of this community in the tiny households and in the larger world. And they keep us safe as well. So they're about safety, like you can't run with scissors. And they're about safety for others. You can't run into somebody with scissors. And without rules, meaning boundaries and appropriate limits, kids don't feel safe. So we have to get really comfortable distinguishing between our kids being uncomfortable with the boundaries that we have and with the limits that we set and our relationship like hanging in the balance. That's Mm -hmm. not, it's not threatening the relationship. And I think the reason we've gone off the rails culturally is because we get that relationship is critical, but we definitely don't understand that it is inextricably linked to boundaries and limits. I liked how you defined boundaries as about yourself and limits as about them. Or I don't know if I got that right, but I think I got that right. It's boundaries is about yourself and yourself in relation to others. So it's a relational thing. And limits is about, yeah, what you're expecting of them. Yeah. Frankly, you lay out all the terms, the five R's at the start of the book, and you go on for lots of paragraphs about four of the five R's and about the rules are you're just super short and succinct and straight up. And it's perfect because that's what rules are. It's like they are what they are and they really don't need any explanation. And they are old school, but they are also, they have carried over generationally for good reason. Can you help us out with a little minor disagreement Cara and I have? <laughs> oh boy, here yeah. we go. Um, I know not what a disagreement, this is. a difference in approach. Style. style. Okay. Style. Okay. So Cara talks about the importance of the why, right? Explaining why we set our rules and limits to our kids to make them more understandable and palatable to a kid, right? Which And so they can take them out of our house. Right. They can so it doesn't, they beyond. can apply it to someone else's house or to school. Like I totally get that. And I am like, sometimes... I don't need to give you the why. Like I can give you the limit or the rule because I'm your parent and I'm in charge and I'm not always going to explain the why because it's like, it's my prerogative to just set down some rules. In your professional opinion, (laughs) is there room for all of those perspectives or do we really have to explain the why in every... What she's asking is, is one of us more right right than the other or are we both right? 
Is, is it I, only Cara right or am I also right? <laughs> there any sliver of rightness in Vanessa is really the question. And, and, and for the record, I say every time Vanessa brings this up that I think Vanessa is right for Vanessa. Like it's her style <laughs> that works for her. But I think she wants to hear that from a professional and not from me because I think she thinks I'm just saying that because I love Vanessa. No, I just, I don't want to be walking around speaking to thousands of people across (laughs) the country. And then it turns out I'm actually doing some harm and being like, yeah, sometimes you just give your rule. So Aliza, talk to us. So here's where I would say you have to determine the why of what you want when you set a limit. Right. And if what you want is compliance, you really just need to give the rule and give positive reinforcement when the rule is followed. The why, though, is always going to help for buy-in and Mm. give us a sense that we had a choice in the matter because we were choosing to, you know, make the right decision because we understood it. So I bend in the CARA direction, but this science also asks you, what is your goal? And there are moments when I say, absolutely, I, you don't need to know why. Because the real reason is I don't have a good reason. This just makes me more comfortable. Right. And this comes up a lot in terms of kids' dress style and self-expression and things like that. And sometimes the why is so complicated and fraught and multi-layered and has all sorts of societal biases and past experiences that it's like almost too hard to explain the why and to get into a conversation about. Well, I think that really what you're saying is, I don't have time for this shit right now, but you've got to do that. (laughs) And so you you want permission scientifically to say that. And I would say like, if that is your approach to certain things because you've made a decision that you are exhausted and you don't have the interest or bandwidth to try to explain and convince. Because the problem with why is like, you only need to say it once. These are teenagers you're talking about, right? Or tweens. They've heard you. They don't like it. So you don't always have to. So part of this is you might've explained it once. You might've explained it twice. You might've put it in the water by asking questions about how it feels to dress a certain way or when somebody else does. But in that moment, when they're on their way to the party and you're like, this will not do. And they say, why? I understand why you don't want to give an answer. Cause you're like, does it really matter? Like I'm not, this is a non-negotiable is what you're saying. Right. And there's something about a why that invites for some of us, it invites, here's another alternate reason. So I don't like that. Why I'm going to argue. And I think there's a time and a place for both, but on balance, authoritative approaches are obviously the ones that lead to the most honesty. And I, I will just add one other reason not to give the why that I do appreciate, which is sometimes they will answer with the why not. And there, it just isn't the bandwidth to have that conversation. Right. And so I do appreciate that. And the repetitive why it's repetitive and exhausted and they're just not that interested in it. And then I have to repair. So yeah, we're back to the beginning (laughs) of the conversation. (laughs) Um, All right, Aliza, I want to close with one point that you make in the book. And I just want you to give our listeners a charge, a send off, because you talk about how, and I'm actually going to quote you. 
We as adults get beautiful opportunities to grow into our own maturity, into our own hope, will, and wisdom. And you're talking about the process of raising kids being an opportunity for ourselves to become better versions of who we are. And so can you just give people like who are having a tough day, who are not feeling all that hopeful or or all that wise, just a, a sense of hope and optimism about the fact that like you can do this and how it's not a straight line. Well, you know, I wanted to call the book Raising Good Parents, but I wasn't allowed. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think if we really remind ourselves we were born as parents when our kids were born, we have like much growth, just like they do. And most importantly, recognizing that that growth is developmental like our brains are actually expanding. And at that moment, and especially in this transition to moments in parenthood, we are our most motivated. We are our most changeable. And we have the most potential in our adulthood to grow and change and thrive. But, you know, just like with kids, like you wobble around, you fall, then you get back up and that's part of the deal, but you keep getting stronger and you keep growing. And I think if we let go of the idea of whatever the parenting ideal is, I know for me, it depends on what your particular pain point is, but mine is remembering seeing this mom. It was my friend's mom. She picked up my baby, my Penelope, when she was a baby, cause she wasn't feeling well. And I was like overwhelmed and we were visiting. She was stirring soup and she had her on her hip and Penelope was super calm and she was super calm. And I was just like, that person was born this way. Mm. Like I'm a hot mess. And that was something I just needed to pay attention to. I had this ideal Mm. and that's obviously gobbledygook. But in the moment, it just felt like I'm never going to live up to this ideal. So once I just moved on from that and went to like my own growth, I'm growing and continuing to, both literally and metaphorically. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the best way to end. The best way to end. We adore you and love you and love this book and know it's going to help so, so, so many people become better parents, better loved ones, better caregivers, and therefore help raise better kids. Thank you so much. I love your book so much. And it's like peeking out in the back where I'm loving it, including (laughs) the cover. It's all coming. It's all coming. (laughs) I'm I'm so subtle, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for sharing friendship and making all of us, and I'll put myself at the front of that line, better versions of ourselves as parents. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you guys. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, 
go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.